Well, good morning again, and uh, welcome to Liberty Church Online, and we want to welcome you uh, into what God is doing here at Liberty Church and across the nation. Today, the body of Christ is mobilized, and we're seeing some amazing things happen uh, as people are coming to know Christ. And as I said in the announcement, we've changed a little bit of the way that we're gathering, but we definitely haven't changed the ministry that we're doing. And we are uh, encouraged today uh, because in the midst of a deep darkness, the Bible says that there is a great light. And I believe that great light is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it's the local church. I believe it's the body of Christ doing what we do best, and that's loving God and loving people uh, and sharing the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Well, today uh, I'm excited because we're going to begin a brand new sermon series entitled Why. And let me just encourage you, if you haven't already done this, uh, we make our sermon notes available uh, through the YouVersion Bible app. And I want to just do a real quick plug and thank you uh, to Craig Grosch and Life Church for making the YouVersion Bible app uh, the most used Bible app on the planet. And uh, through that Bible app, you can look under the events link and you can find uh, a link to our sermon uh, notes uh, and just an outline of what we're going to be talking about today. And so I want to encourage you, go out there and check that out. I believe there's a link also subscribed or available in the description uh, that you're watching today. So this morning, as I said, we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Why? And if you're looking on that outline, that first point is simply this because today what we want to do is we want to answer a question that I believe probably all of us have asked and probably are continuing to ask in our daily lives and and I'm a pastor and I've asked this question and I know that uh, most everybody that I've ever interacted with has asked this question and so here's the question we want to answer today look at that first point if God is good if God loves us and if God is with us then why right why all the sickness disease and death why all the evil, murder, rape, and abuse? Why all the poverty, the lack, and starvation? Why all the pandemics? Can somebody say COVID-19, right? Why all the pandemics, the epidemics, and the natural disasters? Now, that's a lot of information right there, but I want to challenge you with something. Because over the next couple of weeks, this is what we want to try to do. We want to try to answer that question. We want to answer the question, if God is good, and if God is love, and if God is for us, then why? Right? Why all the bad? Why all the evil? Why all the suffering? Not just the COVID-19 virus that's taken our nation and the nations of the world by storm, but if you just look at our lives and you think about all the evil and all the pain and all the heartache and all the heartbreak that happens day in, day out in the world that we live. From natural disasters as tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis to cancer and heart disease to murder and rape and incest, all the things that take place every single day on planet Earth, how in the world, if God is good, if God is love, and if God is for us, how is all this evil happening in our world? And so what we're going to try to do over the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to just boil down some answers into what I want to just call four spiritual truths. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at four spiritual truths that I believe that are probably not going to answer every question. Let's just be honest, there's no sermon series that can really answer all those questions. But what I do believe and what my prayer is, is that over the next two weeks, these four simple truths are going to help to bring some clarity to our hearts and our lives. And I really pray that it's going to kind of uncloudy the water in the area of how we see God. Because one of the most important things that's going to happen in your life is that is your definition or your understanding of who God is. Because if you have a distorted understanding of God, even if you are a Christian, you're going to live a distorted Christianity. 
And if you have a distorted understanding of God, if you're not a Christian, it's going to cause you to push back from the only one that can save you and deliver you and redeem you because his name is Jesus. So my prayer over the next couple weeks is we're going to uncloudy the water and every one of us are going to walk out of this series together with a clear understanding of who God is. Because how you see him and how you understand him determines everything about your life. So let's look in Judges chapter 6 because here's the good news. We're not the first people to ask this question. We won't be the last people to ask this question. But in Judges chapter 6, it's the story of Gideon. And the Bible says, and the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel to the Israelites that they made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. And verse 6 says, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 11 says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abazir. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And verse 12 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, listen to that, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now look at Gideon's response, verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, Why? Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? So Gideon asked the angel of the Lord the question. He said, if God is for us, then why? Why has all this happened to us? Well, I really believe kind of the first step in answering this question is found in that next point on your outline. I believe the first step in understanding why all these things is happening is understanding God's original creation. We've got to first begin to understand God's original creation because God's original plan, look at this, was a world without evil, without pain, without sickness, and without death. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, the Bible says, Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. God looked over everything that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. The heavens, the earth, the animals, the land, the sea, and man, Adam and Eve, man and mankind. God looked at all of creation, the Bible says, and when God looked at what he had made, it was very, very good. And that's significant. Because if you want to understand the heart of God toward humanity, you've got to look at God's original plan. And God's original plan in the Garden of Eden was to create a perfect world for perfect people. Here it is, to have a perfect relationship with God. It was a place of intimacy. It was a place without sickness, without disease, without death, without trauma, without trial, without disaster, without chaos. It was a perfect place for a perfect people to have a perfect relationship with God. And that was God's heart. And if you don't believe that God's heart is to create a perfect place for us to have a perfect relationship with him, then just flip to the back of your Bible, right? Because if you look in the book of Revelations, you find out God's heartbeat for humanity hasn't changed. The Bible says in Revelations that one day there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth wherein is going to dwell righteousness. And you know what the Bible says about that new heaven and that new earth? It says there'll be no sickness, no disease, no death, no sorrow. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and those things will have passed away. Why? Because God's heart 
is to create a place that is free of evil, free of pain, free of suffering, and free of sorrow. And that's really the first step because if you don't understand that, if you don't understand God's original plan and God's original creation, then you'll kind of miss the mark. You'll somehow get a distorted image of who God is. But it all begins with understanding that God's original plan was a perfect place for a perfect people to have a perfect relationship with Him. And here's the good news. His plan hasn't changed. So let's look at that next point because that next point on your outline is significant. Because something happened in the Garden of Eden. Something happened in the Garden of Eden, and that is that Adam and Eve made a choice, right? Adam and Eve made a decision to rebel against God. And if you look at that next point on your outline, here's a very powerful statement. God doesn't allow evil. That's a bold statement. I'm going to break down into that statement in just a minute. God doesn't allow evil, but this is what God does allow. God does allow people. God does allow people to make choices, and it's our choices that produce good or produce evil. When you trace everything back to the Garden of Eden, and you trace everything back to God's original creation, it was a perfect place for perfect people to have a perfect relationship with God. But God did something in the Garden of Eden. God loved Adam and Eve so much that He gave them a choice. He gave them what's called a free will. They had the ability to choose, am I going to love God and serve Him, or am I going to disobey God and rebel against Him? And the reason God gives humanity a choice is because Christianity is a loving relationship with God. And if you can't choose to not love me, then you can't really choose to love me. And that's significant. And that's significant to begin to understand because if you do not come to the realization that God doesn't, quote, allow evil, God allows people to make choices. And it's our choices and our decisions that produce good or that produce evil in the world. As a matter of fact, if you look at the last part of that statement, you recognize something. You recognize that God actually hates evil and that God is at war with evil. Now, let me just give you an illustration, and we're going to read some scripture together this morning. As I was praying through this, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. My heart is grieved when I hear Christians, and I hear a lot of Christians make little statements like, well, you know, if God is allowing the coronavirus, then there must be something we need to learn through this. If God is allowing me to suffer, then there must be something I need to learn through this. If God's allowed my mom to get cancer, well, then there must be something we need to learn through this. If God has allowed me to lose my job, well, then there must be something God wants me to learn through this. And here's what I want you to see. When you use the phrase that God allows evil, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like saying that the police officer allows the drunk driver to kill the family. It's like saying, you know that police officer? I can't believe that police officer allowed that guy to go to that party. And, and you know what? I can't believe that police officer allowed him to drink too many drinks because, you know, he, he drunk too many drinks and he got drunk. And then I can't believe that police officer let that man who drunk too many drinks get in his car and drive drunk down the highway. And I can't believe that police officer allowed that drunk, that drunk driver who drunk too many drinks to get in his car and drive down the road. I can't believe that police officer allowed that man to run that traffic light and hit that family and kill those kids. I can't believe that police officer allowed that drunk driver to do that. And not a person in their right mind would ever say that. 
Because you understand, if you say the police officer allowed him, you just made him an accomplice to the evil. It means that somehow he was involved in that process. You know what the police officer does? The police officer doesn't allow evil. The police officer gives his life, think about it, to prevent evil. The police officer gives his life to prevent evil. The police officer gives his life to stop people from doing the things that bring harm and chaos to other people. So the police officer doesn't allow evil. You know what he does allow? He allows you the liberties and freedoms that you have as an American citizen to make your own choices. He allows you the liberties and freedoms that not only you have as an American citizen, but that you have as a person. An individual created in the image of God. That police officer allows you to make your own choices and your own decisions. Because we in Americans, we're blessed, right? We live in a free country. And we love our freedoms. We love our freedoms so much that just over the last few weeks when the president started uh, making suggestions of how we ought to do this and how we ought to do that, and the governor started making suggestions and they started implementing some laws and telling people don't go here and don't do that, all of a sudden when we felt like our choices were to be taken away, there were a bunch of Americans that said, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right? Let's just be honest. A bunch of, a little, a little pride, a little rebellion. Right? Well, you ain't going to tell me how I'm going to live. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can't tell me what I can or can't do. You know why we felt that way? We felt that way because we understand that there is a freedom and there is a liberty that has been given to us by God. And we have the power to choose. And if somebody tries to take that away from you, you fight them tooth and nail. You get aggressive, you get angry, you get fired up, and rightfully so. Why? Because you have a God-given ability to choose life or death, blessings or curses. That is the gift of God that he's given to all humanity. But we've got to understand. We've got to understand that if we think God allows evil, then we think the police allow drunk drivers to kill kids. And again, nobody in their right mind would say that. But how many times have we heard Christians say, well, God allowed this, and God allowed that, and God allowed this, and God allowed that, and we have made him an accomplice to evil. Do you know what would happen in the real world, in our natural world, if you were driving a car and the guy that was your passenger your car got out and robbed a bank, came back in, got in your car, and you drove away? You know what would happen even if you didn't know he was going to do it? The fact that you knew what he did and you drove away with him, you would become accomplice to that crime, and you would be guilty. When you say God allows evil, you make him guilty of the evil that is happening. God does not allow evil. God allows people. God honors your liberty and freedom to choose how you're going to live your life. And this is huge. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we read it just last week. Such a great scripture. God tells the children of Israel, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants would live. In Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul and Barnabas are speaking and literally pleading to the Jewish people. And this is what they say. They spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. He said they rejected it. God didn't reject the Jews. The Jews rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Recognize that. That is the choice. 
God does not allow evil. God does not send people to hell. They send themselves when they choose to reject the sacrifice of God's Son. Now look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. I want you to see this because not only does God not allow evil, but God allows people to make choices. But God hates evil. God hates evil and He is at war with evil. Look what Romans 8, 1 through 3 says. So now there is therefore now no condemnation of those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. For the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like, we, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. God not only does not allow evil, God hates evil, and He is at war with evil. And God is so at war with evil that the Bible says He gave His Son to be a sacrifice for our sins. But it also says that through Moses he gave the law. Because I want you to back up for just a second. I want you to back up and think about the Old Testament. Because I want to talk to you in just a minute about the distinction between how God operated in the Old Testament and how God operates in the New Testament. Because something dramatically happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. In the Old Testament God gave the law to the nation of Israel. Do you know why God gave the law? Because he was warring against evil. God gave them a standard of righteousness that would bring life. God gave them a code of conduct that would bring life. God gave them a standard to live their lives by that would bring life. And so God gave the law through Moses. Why? Because God is at war with evil. And even though Adam and Eve's sin did two major things, we're going to talk about more in depth next week, Adam and Eve's sin released the curse of sin on the earth, and it gave authority to the devil to still kill and destroy. And we're going to talk about that in depth next Sunday. But I want you to recognize something. As a result of Adam and Eve's choice to rebel against God, sin entered the world. And the Bible tells us that because of Adam's sin, we have all come under death. And God did something. God gave the law through Moses. Why? Because he was declaring war on sin. He was trying to protect people. He was trying to declare war on evil and keep people from being destroyed by their own choices and their own decisions. But here was the problem, the Bible says. The problem was is that even though the law was good, people were still evil. <laughs> And we chose to rebel against the law of God. And we chose to violate the law of God. And we chose to live life our way instead of living life God's way. And so God did something else. The Bible says what the law couldn't do, God did. He sent His own Son, Jesus, as a substitutional sacrifice. Jesus bore the punishment and the penalty of our sin so that we could be made right with God, so that He could break the power of sin that brought death and liberate us to live fully and freely for Him. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 and 26. Look what it says. It says, For Christ must reign until He humbles all His enemies beneath His feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And Christ must reign until he humbles all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let me just tell you what I know according to Scripture. Death is the enemy of God. 
Death is the enemy of God. And Jesus came to destroy death. The Bible tells us in the book of John that whosoever believes in him, if he dies, he'll still live. And whoever believes in him will never die. Why? Because Jesus has come to destroy the power of death. Natural death and devastation. Spiritual death and separation. Jesus came to destroy it. Why? Because God hates evil and he has declared war on evil to the point of sacrificing his son for the punishment and penalty of our sin so we can be made right with God. And I want you to understand, death is not the friend of God. Death is not the will of God. Death is not the work of God. Death is the enemy of God that Jesus came to destroy. Every person that has died from COVID-19 virus has not died by the will of God. They have died by the enemy of God because death is the enemy of the Lord. And I want to just give you some good news today. Jesus' heart and will and plan and purpose is to eradicate this virus from our planet and to bring healing, health, and wholeness to our nation and to the nations of the world because he is a good, good father who loves his children. So God doesn't allow evil. God allows people to make choices and decisions. And unfortunately, our choices and our decisions produce good or produce evil. God hates evil. He is at war with evil. Now look at this next point. And I want to read it to you, and then I'm going to explain it a little bit. So sickness, evil, poverty, pain, and death are not the works of God. It's what happens when you remove God from the equation of life. Sickness, disease, evil, poverty, pain, and death are not the works of God. Now, you might read that statement. You might say, well, Pastor Keith, have you read your Bible? <laughs> because if you've read the Bible and you've read the Old Testament, you know what happens in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament... God uses sickness, God uses disease, God uses death, God destroys people's lives. I mean, I just spent a little time just this morning just rereading some of those Old uh, Testament stories of God pouring out His wrath and pouring out His judgment and pouring out His punishment on people because of their sin and because of their rebellion against Him. And many times what happens is we struggle. Here's the struggle. Here's the struggle. Here's the problem. Most of us as New Testament Christians have intermingled an Old Testament reality into our faith. And we have accused the God of the New Covenant of still operating under the Old Covenant. Now think about that for a minute. We have accused the God of the New Covenant of still operating under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, which was the law, let me just tell you what God did under the law. God enforced the law. God enforced the law. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God, in the Old, Old Testament, enforced the law. And he would use sickness and disease and plagues. He'd open the earth up. He'd rain down fire and brimstone to destroy sin and sinners. Because let me tell you how God, let me tell you how God in the Old Testament dealt with sin. In the Old Testament, God dealt with sin by enforcing the law, and therefore he would kill sinners. 
See, God understood. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. God understood that if he allowed unrighteousness to continue to abound and abound and abound, the unrighteousness of evil and perversion and corruption would ultimately destroy the nation of Israel and destroy his chosen people who were intended to bring forth Jesus who would be the Savior of the world. And so God, in his mercy and in his grace, would war against sin by enforcing the judgment of the law and destroying sinners. And if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that's what God was doing, and here's the amazing thing, when you really get the big picture, you begin to understand that God's acts of judgment in the Old Testament were really acts of mercy because every time God destroyed sinners, He was trying to save people from the repercussions that that sin would bring into their lives. But something happened. God in the Old Testament enforced the law. But Jesus in the New Testament fulfilled the law. God in the Old Testament enforced the law. But Jesus in the New Testament has now fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled it. And the way that he fulfilled it is the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, if you want to go home or you're already home, right? Amen. Come on. If you want to grab your Bibles while you're at home today and you want to read something, read Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, you recognize something. You recognize that the Bible says that God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our wickedness and our sin. He was bruised because of our sorrow and our pain. And God laid on Jesus the wrath, the judgment, the punishment, and the penalty of our sin. And Jesus paid it all. Think about that. Jesus paid it all. He paid the ultimate price for our redemption. He paid for the punishment and penalty of your sin and my sin. Now, I heard somebody say this not long ago, and this is so powerful, I want to repeat it to you today. If Jesus bore the punishment and penalty for our sin on the cross, then God would be unjust, hear me, God would be unjust in punishing us for what he's already punished Jesus for. Think about that. If Jesus really did bear the punishment and penalty of our sin, then God is no longer judging us. God is no longer punishing us. God is no longer afflicting us. God has sent his son Jesus to save us. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God through faith in him. So imagine it in our natural legal system. If somebody is punished for a sin, a crime, then nobody else can be punished, punished for that same crime. Why? Because somebody's already paid the price. Guess what? Jesus has already paid the price, the punishment, the penalty for your sin and my sin. Now there is going to be a day of judgment, amen? There is coming a final day of judgment. And the Bible says that through acts of rebellion and sin, people are laying up judgment in store for themselves. But guess what? The coronavirus, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis are not the judgment of God. Because Jesus has already bore the judgment of God for the sins of the world. Either he died for everybody and every sin, or he died for nobody and no sin. And if he died for everybody and every sin, then he paid the penalty, bore the wrath and the judgment of that sin upon himself so that me and you, amen, can have life and life eternal. 
God is not against you. God is for you. I don't care how wicked you are. I don't care how evil you are. I don't care how defiled you are. God is fighting for your soul. Because Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sin. Now we read in Acts chapter 13 that for those who reject the sacrifice of God's Son have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. And John chapter 3 says that if you reject Jesus and refuse to believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, then you still abide under the wrath and judgment of God. Why? Because the penalty for our sin has already been paid. And the way God operated in the Old Testament is that God enforced the law. But the way God operates in the New Testament is that Jesus has fulfilled the law. So now we don't live under the judgment of God. Come on, come on somebody. Now we live under the grace of God. And grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and to live fervently and passionately for the glory of God. And so we recognize that sickness, evil, poverty, death, and pain are not the works of God. In Romans 5, verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so, every, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Adam's sin brought death. Sickness, disease, poverty, pain, death, coronavirus, earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, all of those things, as we're going to see next week, we're going to look a little deeper, are the result of the curse of sin, not the judgment of God. God is not allowing evil. God is at war with evil. He is fighting for your soul. John 10, 10, the thief comes but not to accept to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And I love verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He gives his life for the sheep. Look at the last point on your outline. This last point is our first foundational truth. And we've said all that we've said today to get to this one point. Here it is, God is good. God is good, and He is at war with evil. He has already fought for you. This is our first foundational truth. God is good, and there is no evil in Him. There is no wickedness in Him. There is no darkness in Him. There is no perversion in Him. There is no corruption in Him. God is good. And if He's not 100% good, then He's not God. And in the Old Testament, He was good because He enforced the law. But in the New Testament, He's good because Christ fulfilled the law. And we went from living under the judgment and wrath of God to now living under the mercy and grace of God because of the sacrifice of God's Son. What a glorious gift He gave. See, the good news of the gospel is that none of us deserve anything but death, hell, and judgment. That's what we deserve. But Jesus died in our stead. He took our place. He purchased and paid for our sins so that we could be redeemed and rescued and have life forever and ever and ever and ever. God is good. And if you don't believe this first foundational truth, you're going to have a hard time moving forward. Because it's, first, it's this first foundational truth that God is good that's going to set the place for everything else that we're going to talk about next week. Because if you don't believe God is good, here's, here's the trap and the snare of the enemy. If you believe that God allows evil, 
then every time you go through a difficult, devastating, hard time, you will, in the back of your mind, blame God. If God allows evil, if God allows sickness, if God allows cancer, if God allows corona, if God allows murder, if God allows rape, if God allows children to be abused, if God allows all that stuff, then the next time something tragic happens in your life, if you don't believe that God is good, 100% good, purely, purely, purely good, if you don't believe that God is good and you think that he allows evil, then you'll blame God. Because if God allowed it, he's an accomplice to it. And why in the world, here's the trap of the enemy, if I believe that God is the source of my pain, then why would I run to him for the source of my healing? If I believe that God is the source of my pain, why would I run to him as the source of my healing? I won't. And unfortunately, we have a world turning away from God because they have believed the lie of the enemy that God allows evil. And Satan has deceived people into making God an accomplice to sin, an accomplice to devastation, an accomplice to destruction, an accomplice to pain, heartache, and heartbreak. And because of that little thought, that lie, instead of people turning to God who loves them, sent his son to die for them, offers a plan of redemption for them, they turn away from God because they just don't know the truth. Here's the truth, guys. God's good. God's good. He's at war with evil. And he's already fought for you. I want to give you one closing verse right here. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus is hanging on the cross. They've just offered sour wine to his mouth. And the Bible says this. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he released his spirit. Jesus said, it is finished. What did he do? He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it. He bore the punishment and the penalty of our sin. The wrath of God and the judgment of God for my sin and your sin was poured out on him. He's already fought for you. Let me give you some good news today. The battle for your soul has already been won. It's already been won. The battle for your soul has already been won. All we have to do is by faith believe and receive. We have to believe that Jesus bore the punishment and penalty of our sin. We have to believe that he died on the cross and on the third day he rose again. We have to be willing to receive him as our Lord and Savior. And I like to say it like this, Lordship is ownership. See, when I receive Him as Lord, I give Him ownership of my life and I say, God, my life is yours. I believe that you paid the penalty for my sin. I believe you rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Here's my life. And when you do that, guess what happens? The Bible says that whoever believes in their heart and confesses their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath to come. You're saved from that final judgment. You're saved from a day of eternal condemnation and death because the Bible tells us there's a real heaven and there's a real hell. There are two places where people will spend eternity, either with God or separated from God. And Jesus died paid the penalty for our sin 
because he's good. God is good and he is at war with evil and he's already fought for you. So if you're watching me today, I don't know where you're at today watching this broadcast, but I want to encourage you to do this. If you've never truly trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's really simple. Here it is. Let's say it together out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe He bore my punishment and my penalty. And I believe on the third day He rose again. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I give you my life. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. And by faith, I receive your gift of life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to challenge you to do something. There's a link below where you can contact us. Please contact us. We'd love to send you some information. We'd love to follow up with you. We want to help you take the next step. Welcome to the family of God. We're so glad you're here. God bless you. Have a great day.